You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. Glad to have you back here today. Uh, I'm Doug Thorpe, and this is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Today, my guest is going to share with us some thoughts about the fact that if you've developed any sort of skill or ability in a leadership role, that experience is transferable. And that's something that people occasionally will debate and they'll say, oh, if you don't know my business, you can't be here or you don't know my industry, I don't need you. And um, the fundamental reality, the principles of leadership fit everywhere. So um, with that said, I'm going to introduce Clint Rush. Clint, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Doug. Good to be here. So you have done some work in in sort of operations leadership and uh, just hit kind of some of the high points in that journey to maybe demonstrate some of the different industries you've been around or things you've looked at. Sure. So uh, short version of me, um, uh, spent uh, about eight years in the military, joined the Army uh, right after September 11th, um, got back from Iraq in 2009. Uh, and and left the military and went to work in transportation, uh, led led local operations there, moved into quality, um, and then eventually went from from uh, operations in transportation to working in uh, finance and pharmaceuticals. And I realized that's a very weird jump. Uh, it started it was a supply chain to supply chain move, and then from from there into finance, um, and then worked in in management consulting for a while, healthcare. Uh, and then led a logistics company as as CEO and president for a few years, and now back in healthcare in, in a in a COO capacity. And so I think uh, you know there's been obviously a lot of those jumps. And to, to your point about kind of the the transferability of of leadership principles, I think that's really uh, been what's guided my my career. I often run into people, and, and some of my listeners have heard me tell this story before. When I first decided to pivot my career and, and focus energy on coaching and, and leadership development efforts, which now coming up almost 19, not quite 20 years ago, um, a very good friend of mine who was a very successful CEO that had gotten into the private equity realm. So he was sort of the CEO for hire. He would get parachuted into new acquisitions. Sure. He would lead the turnarounds and in, in the, the growth of businesses. So they eventually would be sold again. And then he would do it all over again. I think he did it seven or nine times, something like that. I don't know. Uh, lost count. Anyway, I was telling him I really had a passion for helping others with this theme about leadership and leadership development. He shook his head and he said, Doug, you can't sell leadership. He said, people, 95% of the market doesn't even think about leadership. There's only about 5% of people in positions of influence that even ask themselves the question, can I be a better leader? And um, I thought that was odd. He said, however, the 99% of the population needs some help in that area. <laughs> Man, I think that's that's dead on, right? I think it's it's uh, there's an element of, you know, I, I say a lot to to my teams and to to people that I get a chance to work with. You know, you can't fix what you won't face. And and I think there's an element of that that 
nobody wants to believe they're bad at something. Nobody wants to believe that there's a gap. I think that's a that's a very normal and universal truth that we we always face. Um, but you know, I'm also a big believer that that old keys don't unlock new doors. And and if you want to find something to break through, if you want to find a a way to create really transformational growth in your business, transformational growth in your life, um, you've got to be willing to to look in the mirror and go, what am I doing wrong that's preventing me? What am I what am I either doing wrong or not doing right? And those are two different things, to be clear, that that's getting in the way of us accomplishing our our goals. Um, and I think, you know, you you made the comment at kind of the top of the show there that um, you know, that, that people sometimes say, well, you don't know my industry. You don't know my business. You don't know this. And, and the answer is maybe not, but I think we're all a little bit more alike than, than we like to think. Um, when I worked in consulting, I was, I was always surprised by the, the frequency with which my clients who maybe were in the same industry or in the same, the same sector would talk about their business as being really unique. And then I would go and talk to the next person who was in the same space and they would say the same thing. And, and it's, there's a part of it where you go, we're not unique. We're, we're all solving very similar problems. Um, obviously, the variables are a little different here and there, but we're all solving very similar problems. And there's such an ability to beg, borrow, and steal from other areas that really give you those unique insights. Right, right. Well, there's some very fundamental principles with any business or even activity. I, I, I mean, I'm thinking now about even in the, the nonprofit sector when organizations are trying to serve a cause and, and address a target population with some kind of help and assistance. Um, there's still some very fundamental challenges about time and resources. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know some say it's insensitive to say your people on your team are a resource, but they are. And, you know, being able to guide, direct, and inspire those folks to step up and do a little more for the cause or for the, for the work, that, that's really what leadership ends up being all about. And so... I'm sorry. You go ahead. You had something. no, no. I was I was going to say. I think there's there's a part of it where, um, you know, I I used to tell my soldiers when when I was in when I was in the army that that we talk about the the idea of these finite resources. We talk about the idea that, you know, there's a finite amount of this and a finite amount of that. We're running out of oil. We're running out of like that. The, there's a finite amount of money. And the truth is that that every resource except one is actually infinite. Every resource except one is infinite. Look, I, I get it. Uh, it takes some time, but if you, if you give me enough dead dinosaurs in enough years, I'll create more oil for you, right? We do have an infinite supply of oil. It just takes a little while to create it. And that's, that's a silly way of looking at it. But what I would tell my, what I would tell my guys is the only thing we can't get more of is time. That's it. That's the only thing that truly is finite. Everything else is infinite. It's just a matter of what we're willing to trade to get it. Um, and so we we have to be really respectful of time and we have to be really um, judicious in the way we use time. And to your point about that allocation of your people and, and inspiration of your people and creation of that value, I look at that and say, it's really a resource allocation problem. It's, it's really a, an ability to say, I have these two people and this person can accomplish tasks A, B, and C, and this person can accomplish tasks A and B. 
Great. Person number one, you're doing C because you're the only one who can do it. We can have person two do A and B. And look, this is the, this is the idea of competitive advantage uh, or of comparative advantage versus absolute advantage. Like this is basic Adam Smith stuff, but it shows up in everything. It shows up in a nonprofit. It shows up in a kid running a lemonade stand and it shows up in a fortune 500 company. And that fundamental ability to allocate resources in an effective way, to make decisions in an effective way, and then to inspire your people to create uh, success in the environment of ambiguity. Those are truly universal precepts. Those are truly universal challenges that, that business leaders, nonprofit leaders, coaches, athletes, and a kid running a lemonade stand. We all face the exact same problems. They're just different variables in how they show up. Yeah. You know, it, um, it it does strike me that there's always a challenge for someone who is in a leadership role when there is an organizational change or you personally select to move on and go somewhere else. Talk to us a little bit about how you go about introducing yourself to a new team and and starting the process of, of setting the guide rails and the vision and such. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, the, the, the glib answer is very carefully, uh, but I think <laughs> to be, to be a little bit more uh, uh, insightful on it, I think there's a few things that are, that are really at, at the, at the core of importance there. The first one is um, it's gotta be absolutely authentic. I think that, that, um, the ability to have that really authentic connection with your team. Uh, you really only get one shot at it. You know, it, it's, it's um, when, when you show up and meet them for the first time, they're going to remember that moment forever. And, and it's just like an employee's first day. When that person comes in on their first day, if everything's organized and squared away and ready to go, that employee is going to forgive you six months and a year down the road when something gets screwed up because they're going to remember the first day and go out, they were committed to me. But if you get it wrong on the first day, they're never going to forgive you for that. That's always going to be in the back of their mind, whether whether it's it's intentional or otherwise. It's always going to be in the back of their mind to say, yeah, but there was that moment of, dis that, of disorganization. And I think the first introduction is really important there. So when I introduce myself to to a new team, it's, it's really oriented around a few things. One is context for, for the way I think and how I think and the way I've come to, to make the decisions I make. The second is values. I share my personal core values with each person. Uh, and I believe in, in you know, getting a little naked there, right? Opening up a bit and, and being very transparent about what that is. The third thing is explaining what matters to me in the way the business operates. I want to be very clear at expectations. Um, and sometimes that's, that's a bit surprising for people because I might be a little bit more clear and direct than they're accustomed to. Other times people go, yep, that, that matches exactly expectations. But the point is tomorrow, after we get to know each other, that's what I'm going to be. And so it's important that I don't soft shoe that it's important that I be really authentic right off the bat. And then the fourth one, and I think this is the part that, um, gets, gets lost in introductions. It gets lost too often. Introductions aren't just telling you about me. They're me learning about you. And I want to understand what your challenges are. I want to understand 
what you see as an issue. I want to understand what you love so much about the organization, the team, the culture, whatever it is that we can amplify and we don't want to change. And we want to make sure that we take that and, and spread it throughout the business, throughout the organization. So I want to learn from you just as much as I want to introduce myself to you. Um, when I came back to the organization I'm, I'm, I'm with today, um, I went through the company and met one-on-one -on -one with every single person in the organization. Right. It was a, it was a whirlwind, I think two or three weeks that I did it. I traveled to all of our facilities and I just sat down and spent 30 minutes with every employee. And I could have done that stuff as one big email. Here's the black, cause it, a lot of it was the same information. Here's who I am. Here's my background. I could have done that in a very impersonal blast way, but it was important to me that I have an opportunity to sit across a table from somebody face to face, shake a hand and share that story with them personally. Um, Business isn't a remarkably personal activity. And I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, we do ourselves a disservice when we try to depersonalize it. Um, people don't follow a title. They follow a person. They trust a person, not a company. And if we introduce ourselves effectively to that person and create that really authentic values-based mission oriented, um, interaction, I think it, it really helps to, to accelerate that process. The other thing that I've done, and this is this was a um, something that I got from from a, a person that I, I worked with a while ago. Um, I wrote a user manual for myself, hmm. and I shared that document with with everybody in the organization. And um, it's it's funny. I shared it with some with with everybody, and and the people who knew me, they read it and they were like, "This is this is it's so funny because this is you on a page." But what I had in there was. Here's my, here's my story. Here's where I've come from. Here's what I believe in. Here are things I know about myself, good and bad. Here are the, here are the precepts that I use to, to guide the way I think. Um, and here are the, like my core operating principles, my, my true, like true North star. And then it concludes with, here's how to get me to run through walls for you. Here are the things you can do that will inspire insane loyalty from me. And here are the things you can do that will put you on the outside of the circle. Right here are the things you will you can do to really ruin that process. So don't do the last list, do a whole lot of the first list, and let's get together. Right, let's get let's get to work together. <clears throat> Very interesting. And, and writing that document was an interesting experience for me. It was a it was a I, I wrote it. Now I revise it every year, um, and and it's it's a it's an opportunity for me to really reflect on what you know what I actually believe. You you read uh, you know a lot of stuff. Um, that's out there about about personal growth and personal development and self-reflection it all says you know at the end of your calendar year have like a, a a personal board meeting um you know and how do we do this year what are we what are we focusing on and for me that that user guide really forces that conversation with myself it forces that reflection and i think then being able to take that and share it with the team it helps to shortcut that that growth i'm curious has as your teammates uh, figured that out or, or read into that what what kinds of reactions did you get what does that spectrum look like <laughs> um a lot i mean that spectrum is it's, it's broad uh you know there, there's there's on one end of it which is oh my god like the, the, this guy has a has a thing about it, like has a user manual for himself like what an insane practice um and on the other end there is this is exceptional like now I have an understanding of what's going on in your head. 
Um, there were a lot of things in there that uh, that sparked conversations and sparked discussions. You know, one of the um, one of the beliefs that I have is that is that uh, if if you it's in the belief this is a truism if you if you if you watch high jumpers warm up at the Olympics, okay, or at, at competition, they might be capable of jumping you know this high, and and they warm up jumping this high. But they don't jump this high over a bar this high. They clear every bar by an inch. And then they ratchet the bar up another inch. And then they ratchet the bar up another inch. And they always keep clearing it by just an inch. They just barely clear the bar every single time. And the 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 thing that I take away from that is that we very rarely in life, whether it's a high jumper or whether it's business performance, we very rarely clear bars by more than an inch. So if we want to if we want to improve performance, the trick is set a high bar. Because people will clear it by an inch. But if you set that low bar, they're not going to clear it by a foot or two feet or three feet. They're going to clear it by an inch. And so I don't believe in having low bars that ratchet up over time. I believe in setting the bar where it needs to be and then saying, look, I understand that you may not clear it on your first jump. You might crash into the bar. And that's a that's a weird thing for I think a lot of people to accept. I had an employee who who I, I brought on, and um, I think she had been on on the job for about a month when we did an end of quarter review, and I gave her end of quarter review, and and it said like you're not good at this, and you're not like this is not satisfactory. You're not here. You're not here. You're not here. And she was in almost in tears, and she said, "But I'm trying very hard." And I said, "Look, you, you you've been here for been here for four weeks." do you think that this job is so easy as to be mastered in only four weeks? And it clicked for her that I wasn't evaluating her relative to how long she had been doing it. I was evaluating her relative to the expectations of the role. I had set the bar at one height and said, we're going to clear that bar and it's okay if we don't right away. But what I'm not going to do is artificially tell you you're clearing the bar and then sneakily raise it for you. I'm going to tell you where the top of the mountain is. There's going to be no you know, false summits. Um, and so I included that in the, in, in my user manual, I included that, that concept. And I had somebody on my team who called and said, well, I, I want to talk to you about this because I've, I've never been a part of an organization where it's okay to fall short. I've never been a part of an organization where you say, Hey, you failed at this and that's okay. And I said, okay, I like that part. I, I'm, that makes sense to me that you've never been a part of an organization like that, but what's, what's your question? She said, well, do you actually do that? And I said, I absolutely actually do that. I said, you're failing. Like you're new. You're, you're not accomplishing what we want, but you're here tomorrow and you're here the next day and you're here the next day and I'm investing in you and I'm pouring into you. And the truth is we, we can't be successful on our first day. We got to, we got to lose a little bit to learn how to win and that's okay. But we also have to be honest about whether we're winning or losing. And so that conversation was really sparked by that inclusion of that in the document. And that type of thing happened, I don't know, a dozen, two dozen times where somebody would say, I'm really curious about this. How did you get here? What does this mean? How does this impact me? And, and what was really nice about that, that document was it was a great introduction of the way I thought, but it also sparked a lot of really good discussions to help improve the the 
cultural functioning, the operational functioning, the way the organization comes together. There's several things in everything you just said. <laughs> I, I love the idea of setting that expectation and, and setting the bar where you really need it and want it to be, and then having the honest discussions about who's falling short, but do it in the context of we're talking about the bar. We're not talking about you per yes. se. We're yes. talking about the bar. <laughs> yes. And, and the, the level of effort it takes to achieve and clear the bar. So I think that's really powerful. The, the other thing in what you said about just in general about your user manual, I've always encouraged my clients to understand the concept that a reputation as a leader does not happen in that giant town hall where you're on the podium and you're giving pontificating about some grand vision or you're giving an annual report. No, your leadership reputation happens moment by moment. Mm -hmm. It's, it's what you say and do and how you act and react to things around you, how your people are engaging or how more importantly, to your point, how you're engaging with them and letting them know. And, and uh, another thing that came across my mind as you were describing all of that is I've encouraged people who run larger teams to be incredibly careful about walking out into the work group, the, whether it's a shop or a cubicle farm or however you might be set up with your people and just asking random questions about the work. I think those questions need to be asked in some kind of context, and I call it bookending. Put a bookend on one end and a bookend on the other, and that may mean, you know, hey, Clint, I just got a request from the CEO to give an update on X, Y, and Z. Where are we on X? You're running X. Give me a quick rundown. And then when that's done, you bookend it by saying, perfect, that's it, that's all I need, no more questions, we're all good. And the reason I think that's such a, a vital point of just simple day-to-day -day operation is that when a leader walks out to a person and asks a random question and then turns around and walks away, that person is left with nothing but speculation. Why did yes. I get asked that? Am I doing something wrong? Right. Are we changing gears? Has the plan changed? You know, blah, blah, blah. I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah. And if, it, if, a leader, if a leader can't frame that accurately or properly, and I know people are busy and I, I run into it a lot. My clients, you know, lament about it. You know, I'm busy. I don't have time to do all that extra thinking. Well, guess what? <laughs> Buckle up, buttercup. Well, you do. You're going to do it one way or another. <clears throat> you get to choose to do it on the front end or choose to do it in, in, you know, cleaning up and damage control. But you're doing it one way or another. I call what you just talked about. I, I talk about with people all the time and I call it the Jurassic Park problem. But right? if you remember, if you remember the, the book, the movie Jurassic Park, right, they, they, they pulled the, the DNA out of the, out of the mosquito and there's all these sequences of it that are missing. And so they fill it in with frog DNA. And then the frog changes gender. And the whole thing collapses and it all falls apart and it doesn't work. Your people, no matter who you are, no matter how big your team is, whatever it is, your people need to fill out the DNA sequence. 
And so when you leave gaps in the story, whether those gaps are you don't share facts with people or whether those gaps are you don't share context with people, when you leave gaps, they're going to fill the gaps. And they're going to take frog DNA and they're going to plug it into those gaps. They're going to fill it out. And before you know it, the dinosaur that you thought you created has changed, right? Switch gender, reproduced, and you got a whole island running around of dinosaurs you can't control. <laughs> and the truth is that that's a problem that's universal. That's a problem that comes from, it has nothing to do with your industry. It has nothing to do with your function. It has nothing to do with your role. It has everything to do with the fact that leaders have to provide context. I believe that leadership is about two things. Leadership is about two things and that's it. One is inspiration and two is change. Those are the two things we do. We inspire people and we create change. And that's it. That's all it is. That's, that's the entire sum total of the responsibility. Now, there are a hundred things that have to get done to drive those two outcomes. But if you think about the thing that, that creates true failure for both of those, like just throws sand in the gears, it's an absence of context. It's creating doubt and uncertainty in your people. Right. And right. that is, that's completely universal completely universal. that's true and it does I, I i like that version of it you know and and the whole idea of of managing or call it leading change is that that's really what's happening the the day someone opens the door to a business things are going to start changing mm -hmm. if not moment by moment for sure tomorrow something about tomorrow is going to be different Something will have changed either internally or externally. And how are you going to respond to that? Yeah. And I love the, uh, uh, I did a show with a guy who did a really deep dive in-depth study on Steve Bezos in, in the, the early years, well, all the years that he was chairman and CEO. And what he did, this, this gentleman that was on my show, he, had, he studied the annual letter to shareholders. Oh, okay. Yeah. And there were a couple of themes that were presented in year one. They were repeated in year two, year three, dot, 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 year 14. And the message didn't change. Sure. There were principles similar to your user guide. There were principles that Bezos had in stone about how that business was going to evolve. Yeah. And one of the things that was in there he uses the phrase, and I might be misquoting it, but every day is day one. And, you know, there's a lot of analysis and talk and discussion to go with that. And the, the story goes six or eight years into the evolution of the company, Bezos was holding a town hall and he opened the mic for questions. And somebody raised their hand and said, what happens on day two? <laughs> Bezos thought a minute and he, he smiled and he said, on day two, we're failing. We're going down. It's a good way to think about it. And about it. so every day needs to be day one. We need yeah. to do the best we know how to do today. We need to fulfill the high bar that we've set for ourselves and Every day's day one. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think there's there's an element of, you know, I, I 
tell people often there's there's absolutely no morality in being wrong there's, there's no morality in getting something wrong there's a ton of morality in staying wrong right there's a lot of morality wrapped up in staying wrong if you choose to stay wrong that's bad being wrong look we're gonna get it i i literally just had this conversation with with one of my my team members moments before i hopped on with you um and i told her that i think you know i i get about 65 percent of my decisions right and she said that low and i said that, that's two to one right that's that's i'm getting two out of every three right i'll take that and the one that i get wrong the important part is just don't be wrong long be able to recognize that you got it wrong and pivot and do something new. And and if you do that, and then your new one, you're 65% right, right? You continue down this path, the the enduring mistake gets small real quick. And hopefully yeah. you've got a good team around you that that can that can operate in the same way. Um I, I think that's that's really what it's about. You know, we're we're not gonna go, we're no one's ever gonna be at hundred percent successful. Right. And I think that's that's the, the same thesis of the everyday is day one, which is we've, we've just got to continue to challenge that and continue to grow. And and to bring this back to the, the thing you, you talked about at the, at the top of the show, like it's truly universal. That's not tied to a particular it's not tied to an industry, to a role, to there's nothing that there's nothing about that that's specific. Right. The, the need to continually iterate and improve. It, it's truly universal. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I'm, I was thinking as you were describing your stat, your 65% accuracy rate on your decisions, um, you know, the thing that flashed through my mind, you know, if you play pro baseball and you get a 250 career batting average, you're going to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. That's what, And that's only one out of four. So, uh, yeah. I, I had a, uh, Way back when, when I was a uh, when I was a cadet, uh, when I was when I was I, I was enlisted first, then I went back to college and got my degree, and then went back um, on active duty. and And during the time that I was um, that I was a cadet, I had a I had an instructor who we were we were doing a, a particular training exercise, and I froze up and I, I couldn't make a decision. It was true you know, analysis paralysis. And it was, it was a, such a great learning experience for me. And I afterward came back in and I told the instructor, I said, look, maybe this isn't for me. You know, maybe, maybe I'm meant to be just the executor and not the decider. Um, you know, it was kind of a, a woe is me, you know, pity party moment. And uh, he slammed his hand on the desk and he said, that's not true. And I said, what? And he said, how many decisions were you choosing between? And I said, well, there's, you know, there's a million decisions that you could make in that moment there's you know an infinite number of courses of action and he said okay stop how many decisions were you really picking between and i said three there were three and he goes okay so if you threw a dart at a wall what's the odds you're going to get the right one and i said one and three and he said if you don't make a decision what's the odds you're going to get the right one and zero. Said, zero yeah and he said okay so throw the dart man and I thought like, that's, it's such an interesting way to think about it. And he went on to explain that, you know, and this is, this is like the OODA loop stuff. And the idea that if you, if you make a decision, it creates ripples, which allow you to, to learn. And then you can iterate that decision and, and pivot it slightly. And the odds of you getting the, the first decision right are low, but the odds of you getting the second decision right 
are high if you get the first decision quickly. And it fit exactly. I was a forward observer when I was an enlisted guy. Well, you're never going to put your first round on target. But boy, if you get that first round down range, you can adjust from it and you can get your second round on target or your third round. And the idea is just be willing to say it's okay to be wrong a little bit as long as you're right in the, in the long run. Now, there are a lot of decisions out there where that doesn't work. There are a lot of moments where you have one shot at it. Okay, those are ones where you should really be thoughtful about it. But don't confuse the idea of something being important with the idea of you only getting one shot at it. Right. To, to your point, every at-bat matters. But there aren't a lot of batting. That, I mean, there's a reason nobody's hit 400 since Ted Williams. And that's only 40%. So, you know, it, it's... it's um, we're not going to be right consistently, but what we can be is right with enough repetition. Right. Well, and and to bring that full circle, the other issue that hinders organizational development, growth, and prosperity is the whole idea of how do you handle that fail? So a decision gets made, there's an error that becomes clearly apparent. How does the culture embrace that moment? Yeah. And if your culture is punishment for making the error, guess what? Nobody's going to make a choice. Everybody's right. going to stop making decisions. Exactly right. And you're exactly. going to just tread water, if not sink in the process. It, there, there is a line in that user manual where I say, I'm going to get things wrong. I'm going to fail. I'm going to make mistakes. Like, I want to be really clear about that up front with people for two reasons. First, when it happens, I don't want people to go, oh my gosh, he made the wrong call. I don't know if we can trust him tomorrow. Instead, I want them to go, oh my gosh, he made the wrong call. That's exactly what he told us was going to happen. And look, he recovered from it. Like, that's okay. He. The second reason, and it's a much larger reason, is I want to set the expectation that that's okay for you too. Yeah. We're all going to fall short. It's okay that we fall short. It's okay that we make the mistake. It's okay that we don't achieve the, the thing that we want to achieve. It doesn't mean we're bad people. It means our performance has to change. It means that, you know, those are, those are gaps. NFL teams have their, their film study on Monday. Right. They, they go in and watch the game and they grade everybody's performance and they point out the mistakes and they go, look, this is this is a missed throw. This is a missed block. This is a you ran the wrong route. You missed this tackle. Right. They go through and they get very nitpicky on all of those details. But they don't cut the whole team on Monday. Right. They don't right. they don't they don't bench guys on the whole. If you miss a tackle, you don't lose your job. They're saying it with an idea of going, hey, next Sunday when we play, let's be better. Yeah. And we can't be better if we don't acknowledge the fact that we fell short. And they certainly don't say, hey, you know, you missed this tackle, you missed this throw. And that's okay because it doesn't matter. They say you missed this throw and it matters. doesn't mean you're a bad person. You know, I, I uh, uh, this season of this in-season hard knocks that they're, they're doing on the Dolphins, um, I think Mike McDaniel is is exceptional at it and watching him do it it's it's really cool to watch because he gets up and goes I mean he he got up and and pointed out after I forget which game it was but they they showed 
you know, he said, look, I'm putting two in a position to make a throw that he can't make. That's on me. Bad play call on me. And he says it to the whole team. And when a guy does that, then everyone goes, oh, okay. Like now we can call our own fouls. We can be in a position where like we can call out our own failures. Mm -hmm. And that authentic leadership is why guys love playing for him. It's why that team is really good. Um, and I think it's, it's, again, you can't fix what you don't face. You can't fix what you don't face. The, the thing that leaders need to do to create that culture in their organization is do it themselves. If, if it's an emperor has no clothes situation, you cannot be successful. Right. I mean, you could be successful for a little while, but eventually you're going to get exposed. Right. Right. And I, I think that it really comes down to that authentic, it's that authentic, that authentic leadership. And that starts to your, to your point earlier, it starts with the way you introduce yourself to your team. If, if you say to your team, I'm never going to make a mistake. Okay. Good luck. Good luck living up to that. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I wish you well. People know that right away. You see right through that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and and when you do, there's immediately because you're going to you're going to stub your toe. And when you do, your team goes, "See, told you, told you." But if you introduce yourself and you say, "Look, I'm trying as hard as I can, and just like you, there's going to be days where I stub my toe," they go, "Okay, okay." Then you stub your toe, and they go, "Yeah, he told us." And look, he recovered. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be part of that. I want to run that way. Well, Clint, thank you for sharing this. We're about up on time for today, but uh, this has been very great. And I, I, there, there were several points in here that I'm thinking to myself, I got to get this guy back. We're going to do some more episodes. <laughs> I'd love to, Doug. I'd love to. But um, thank you so much. If, if people are interested in reaching out and getting in touch with you to maybe learn more about your strategy, and uh, I don't know if you freely give up your playbook to everybody or your Absolutely. user guide, but uh, how's the best way people get a hold of you? Yeah. Uh, best way is to find me on LinkedIn uh, or, or you can find me at clintrush.com. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we will have those links in the show notes as we always do folks. As so uh, one last time, Clint, thanks for sitting in, man. Oh, thanks so much, Doug. Thanks so much. Well, we are going to wrap this up for today, everybody. Let you get back to your busy work. And I, I, I hope these tips and ideas that Clint shared can be helpful for you. And, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're a few weeks past the turn of the calendar page. And, you know, you might still be in that New Year's resolution thinking mode. But uh, I love that idea of the user's manual. So, um uh, you may choose to take that on as a little project for yourself. And then there's no harm in re-huddling with your team and say, you know, folks, there's some things I haven't been clear about. Let's, let's reset. Let's, let's uh, pause for a minute and let me share. And, and having that discussion can cure a lot of problems that you may already have in an existing situation. So I really encourage you to think seriously about having that moment with your team. You don't have to wait till you move on and change jobs to, to do all these great things. You can start now. So with that, I'm going to sign off, say goodbye, go out there, make it a great day. 
You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.